Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz, joined by my fellow co-host, Mike Schmitz. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great as well. Excellent. Today we are talking about the art of conversation. Now, this is going to be an interesting topic, hopefully, because we have found ourselves in a lot of digital communication as we go further along in this current age and culture. And it's a great follow-up to our last episode on screen time. So the reality is that conversation is a dying art in our modern culture of digital communication. Yep. How many times have you had a text or email misunderstood as the receiver or the sender? <laughs> Almost every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's why when, when people text me something and it requires any sort of back and forth, I like to actually call them. Yeah. And it's kind of surprising to me the number of people that I try to call like after they send a text message and they don't answer the phone. That's true. Because <laughs> they don't want to talk. They just want to text. It's more efficient. But I know it's not as effective. <laughs> yes. You know, emojis can help some, but the limitations of the written text really becomes more evident as... Let's talk about emojis for a second, because I, okay. I think this is kind of cool, actually. I always was not a fan of emoji. I thought it was kind of like little kid type stuff, like real sophisticated people writing full sentences and they don't <laughs> use emoji. I've come around on this, though, because I realize that when you are texting or not even just texting, any sort of written communication. So this is email, too, I think you lose a big part of the message by not having the nonverbal or the verbal side of it there where you can't look in their eyes and see inflection of their voice or body language, all of that. Exactly. And at first I kind of thought, Oh, what's the big deal? You know, it's, it's really the message that you're, you're sending the words that you're saying that's important. But I think I've come full circle on this, and I think that emoji are a very useful tool to get a piece of that back, and so it's worth figuring out how to use them effectively. It's not just the way the kids talk. Like If you are going to communicate via text, you should try to convey the full message, and emoji is a great way to do that. Yeah. However, it still is not a comparison for real face-to-face -face conversation. Yeah, it's not a one-to-one -one replacement for sure, but it definitely does help. Yes, it does. Because if you're the receiver and you receive a message, you know, if you're in a poor emotional state, you could take it totally the wrong way. But you could be happy on the other on the flip side and totally understand what they're saying. But yep. with an emoji, it kind of does help convey exactly what you mean. Yes, yes, exactly. Just don't send the wrong one by accident. I don't know. <laughs> I've done that. Have you done that? I don't think I've sent the wrong emoji, but I could see that happening. Or maybe I've seen I've seen it happen. It's pretty comical, actually, because you could, it's really obvious. But yeah, let me just share one example of text communication gone awry. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> so about a month ago, I put together this short little video walking through the sketch notes. Oh that my I gosh! Take. This is great. <laughs> So I, for those who don't know, I take sketch notes at, at church or really whenever I attend a talk. And I was challenged by somebody, a uh, pastor that I met online, Bodie Quirk. Like, you should record a quick video and just kind of walk people through it. And I thought, there's no way this is going to be interesting to anybody except me. Even if you like the style, you look at it once, you're never going to want to come back and see it. But Bodie convinced me to do it. So 
you were at your sister's house and I thought it was just you and them and they're people that I would respect what they have to say. So I asked you via text, hey, can you get some feedback on this for me? And instead of asking your sister where you were, you shared it with like the whole church. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just saw, hey, can you share this and get some feedback? And in my mind, I'm like, well, sure. I know people that would probably like to see this and would give me feedback. So I shared it on our, we have like this prayer group for our church and we've been doing a lot through this messaging app the last few months to keep in touch on prayer requests and things. And I was posted in there saying, hey, Mike did this. Let me know if you like it. (laughs) Yeah. So this was a private video on Vimeo. I really wasn't even sure if I was going to publish this on my website yet. And then I'm getting a text message from pastor saying, hey, is it okay if I share this on Facebook? And I I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, we went from zero to 100 here. How how did you find out about this? Because you got your wife involved. You're welcome. Now, I use that as an example because this is totally not a big deal. It's been a really cool thing. And the feedback that I've gotten from sharing these has been really great. And you've been doing it every week since. Yes. So... I want to move on from from this particular thing, but I'll just share because I thought this was kind of cool. I hadn't even thought about the fact that my pastor is preaching these messages. He's not sure if people are receiving them. And so it was an encouragement to him that I was doing this because he could see that somebody's getting something. And if that was the only thing that came from it, it's probably still worth it. And I totally didn't even think about that. So I'm glad that I'm doing this. I'm glad you gave me the extra push by sharing it publicly. But... It was an example of how we were not on the same page (laughs) via text communication. (laughs) And so lesson learned to me, because I admit that when I got all this stuff all of a sudden in the middle of a workday, it's like, okay, I guess I better figure out what I really want to do with this. I was a little miffed. I'm like, well, what in the world is she doing (laughs) sharing this with everybody? But it's all good. Well, you know, you should know me by now, right? If I like (laughs) something, I think it's cool. I'm like, sure, I'll share it with the world. So I guess... Share carefully with me because I will broadcast it if I'd like it. (laughs) Or maybe if I would have put like a little (laughs) winky face on get me some feedback, then Uh, you would have realized that like, hey, this is still a little low key, not ready to share this with the world uh, yet. I don't think I would have picked up on the winky. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) To be honest. Oh, it's so great. But you know, it it all worked out okay. It doesn't always work out that well, but... But it was an example of miscommunication and... That's just way easier to have something like that when you're not having real face-to-face conversation. And uh, really the importance of this was kind of brought to me when Joe and I read Reclaiming Conversation by Sherry Turkle for uh, for Bookworm. And this was a book that I did not expect to like. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I I think I started reading after I listened to the Bookworm episode on it. And it's been a very interesting read. And it's really been a wake-up call to me as to the amount that screen time is affecting our communication, not just for our children, but for all of us. Mm-hmm. And the author is very interesting because she's actually, she likes technology. <laughs> she's been in researching technology for the last few decades. So she's not this person coming at it like anti-technology, you know, you shouldn't be doing all this stuff. No, quite the contrary, but she has done all this research and found the great effect that it is having on our culture. And the what's at stake is conversation, is communication, is true connection that we have socially. 
Exactly. And that affects so many areas of our life. Exactly. Conversation equals connection. And you don't necessarily have a connection when you communicate via digital means. So Sherry Turkle is not anti-technology, like no. you said. No. But she's doing these studies, and primarily with younger people, which I thought was interesting, who are frustrated with the tech habits of their parents. Yes. Which I think maybe we touched on this Last in the episode, previous episode. Yeah. yeah, that a lot of this stuff that as older, more mature adults in the room. Air you know, quotes. We think we've got this figured out, but we don't. And then we reproduce that in our kids just because they see us being addicted to these devices. And so they take it maybe a little bit further than we would. And we're like, well, why are they doing that? It's because we never taught them any sort of self-restraint when it comes to this. And they look at our lives and they they really are saying, mom and dad are hypocrites because they say I shouldn't be playing video games so long, but they're on their phone every time I see them. Yeah, and we so easily justify it by I am doing some important tasks. I am emailing someone back. I am maybe even doing something where a friend really needs help or a ministry or something like that. But to our kids, it's just us looking at our phone. So to them, they can't decipher between whether we're playing some game or doing something very meaningful. And even that, like what is meaningful? You mentioned ministry. I would argue real ministry doesn't happen in a text message. No, but even if you're on the phone call, they don't decipher that even, honestly. Yeah, phone calls I think are a little bit different, uh, but maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I think, though, that most of the time, like when you're on the phone, you're talking to somebody on the phone, maybe you've got your headset in, but you're not looking at the screen, when you are doing anything else like social media, email, text messages, you are looking at the screen and it is very obvious where your attention is. I have noticed a difference in the days if I haven't been on my phone much and I have to make a phone call, they are much more respectful in the time that I have to talk to whoever I'm talking to, whether it's serious or not. But if I have been on my phone a lot that day and I'm on a phone call, they are much less respectful of me being on the phone and they try to steal my attention away from that conversation. Exactly. So that's interesting. You can't have it both ways. No. You can't say, well, I'm doing a priority task on my phone when not everything's a priority. <laughs> and to kids, what other priority do you have than me? Yeah, you yeah know? exactly. But it's it's something to that's really worth looking into. Even if you pick up the book and peruse it or do an audio book or at least research the topic, uh, we, will do, we, would, we would do ourselves a disservice by not really looking at this thing for what it is. One of the biggest fallouts that I have seen from the vast amount of screen time and digital quote-unquote communication is a lack of empathy. And there's a few reasons I want to bring this up. Now, empathy is a word that's kind of thrown around. But I want to kind of unpack a little bit of what it actually means. Sympathy is something where you feel bad for someone. But empathy is deeper, where you can basically put yourself in that person's shoes. So you see their emotions, you see what they're going through, and you can almost feel it with them. Mm -hmm. And it actually reminds me of Jesus, who is moved with compassion, the scripture says. If we're moved with compassion for someone... 
you know, that takes more than a text message or an email, right? Mm-hmm. That's like a, at least a phone call where you can hear the inflection of their voice. You could hear the joy. You could hear the sorrow. You know, you could hear the pain or even better face to face because then we can truly respond to what they're going through. It's got to be face to face. That's really what it comes down to. You may think like, oh, well, video call, that's good enough. It should only be good enough in the cases where you physically cannot do it face to face. Yes. There are certain things, certain communications that you can, like if you're just trying to update people on the status of something, you know, companies are kind of notorious for having these status update meetings and they're a waste of everybody's time. Go ahead and send that email. But whenever you're talking to anybody about anything that is meaningful, it should be done face to face. I 100% believe that kind of the political culture that we have in the U.S. right now is because of this lack of empathy. Yeah. Can you, do you recall when you told me about the origin of this? Yeah. So I don't remember exactly where I first heard this, but there was some law passed and it changed the way that the government operated where instead of being in D.C. together all the time... They're families, right? Yes. So Republicans, Democrats, they went to the same churches, they went to the same schools, and you saw each other outside of the Senate floor where you're having the debates and you're able to see the human side of the people on the other side. And this law was passed where you could leave D.C. and what happened is a lot of people went home to their home districts and they spent more time campaigning, raising funds. And then they would just come back whenever they had to vote on something. And over the years, I mean, you can kind of see how it's devolved, I guess, into like an us against them sort of a thing. And it's kind of petty (laughs) when you step back and and look at it. It's kind of like, weren't they ever a part of a group in kindergarten or first grade where they had to learn to like consider the other people? But it just, it doesn't happen. And it's, it's not just one side either. It's, it's both sides. And it's just kind of the the political culture that we find ourselves in. But I think, you know, if we were forced to do life together, we learn to understand the people who are different from us. And we learn to at least understand where they're coming from and have some empathy for their point of view, even if we don't 100% agree with it. Yeah, that is very interesting to look at. The less that we are really truly engaging with the people in our life, whether we agree with them or not, it's easy to engage with those whom we agree with 100%, right? Or not even 100 I mean, who do you really agree with 100%, I guess? But to really be in face-to-face contact, conversation, engaging with those that you are that are very different from you. I mean, we can very easily get ourselves in such a small little world that we very much lack empathy for anyone different than us. And that is very dangerous. That's where conversation is most needed. Yes. And that's what we're going through right now in this country. And instead, what we tend to do is we go into our cliques and we have conversation with the people who are just like us and we build this echo chamber instead of trying to understand the other side. That's really what we need to do. That's what conversation is, is designed to do. You know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. I mean, there's lots of different pieces of conversation. A big part of it is listening. And I've been challenged with this recently where I know that a lot of people listen just to respond. And I know that to really listen, to really hear what somebody is saying, 
That's the most effective way to communicate. And I still have to fight the urge to be thinking about what I'm going to say next. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and it, it if we really in just engage in fully listening, and I'm guilty of this all the time with my kids because, you know, I could be thinking about like, oh, I have to get this done next. And then one of them comes up and is like, hey, mom, I want to show you this thing or I want to talk to you about this thing. And I'm not 100% there. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at them, kind of trying to listen, but I'm really thinking about what I was about to do. Yep. That's and a challenge. It is a challenge because I can't always just stop everything, every moment. One of my five children has to talk to me. Uh, but I do need to do that. And I do need to recognize, especially when it is most important. And I need to recognize when it's okay to say, you know what, mom needs to do this right now. And then... Let's check back in a few minutes or whatever it is. But again, that comes down to communication. So instead of half listening, I'd be better to, better off communicating to them that let me finish this first mm -hmm. and then I'll give you my full attention. Yep. Or let me give, give you my full attention for a few minutes and then I need to go on and finish what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But that's, that is so easily solved by communication instead of them being like, oh, mom doesn't want to listen to me or I'm not important enough for her. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't take a lot for them to get it either. I mean, even Adelaide, two years old, Yeah. you tell her mom's in a meeting, she knows she's got to wait. <laughs> it's true. I've trained her the last few months being at home all the time and still having meetings and different things. Yep. yep. So again, communication, it's all training really. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I have I've learned this a lot because I'm one where I'll just, you know, keep going, keep going and not actually communicate to my husband, for example, like what the plan is for d today with the kids or things I have to do. And then with him working at home all the time, too, it is more important than ever that we are clearly communi communicating with other each other like each day and what's coming up the next day. Yep. So let's maybe jump in here this is, seems like a good spot to talk about you know what what we can do about this we kind of talked about how digital communication is kind of a cheap substitute for real conversation it's fine when you got to do it but uh, the gold standard would be face-to-face -face communication and real conversation whenever possible so what are some of the things that that we can do to kind of foster an environment or a culture where conversation becomes normal well, one of the things that is really important, and for some of us, it's hard because we're not naturally confrontational, but I believe it is mandatory that it be a face-to-face -face conversation regarding conflicts mm -hmm. and absolutely no texting or emailing regarding any conflict of any kind. Why? Well, there's lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. But that is so important that it's communicated clearly and received clearly. Otherwise, it can really blow up and become a bigger deal. Yep. And this was an interesting part for me in Sherry Turkle's book because she mentioned that a lot of families would fight via text message. I don't even understand that. How do you? Well, her point is that by using text, by forcing themselves into a text based medium, they would think through what they were going to say before they said it instead of just spewing out something that could be taken the wrong way. But there's a couple problems with that, I think. Number one, uh, really the root issue is you need to learn to catch your tongue before you say something stupid anyways. Yeah. And number two, you're not really dealing with the root issues, or there's, there's a chance that you won't be dealing with the root issues. 
I could totally see a scenario where if that was the case with me, I would just not say what I'm really feeling. And that means that we haven't really dealt with the the true problem. And just me being me, I would tend to think about that and stew on it and think about, oh, I should have said this thing, you know, for days afterwards, where if we just know that there's there's going to be some conflict and it's not necessarily bad, let's just work through it and figure figure out what to do about it, then we can get to a resolution much more quickly. We can't think of conflict as being so foreign that we have to carefully curate every little thing. We need to learn to control our tongue. Um, Bible talks about it being the rudder. Mm-hmm. The one who can control his tongue is perfect, basically. Yep. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> so learning to curate what we're saying in a loving way in conflict, wow, that's some really good training in conversation. You know, you mentioned out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that just shows you that it's a, a bigger issue. You may be able to control it for a little bit via text message, but if you're still thinking all that stuff, there's still something wrong there and you should fix that cycle because you're going to be thinking about things and you're going to be feeling different things and you're going to be saying different things. Eventually those are all going to align and the truth is going to come out. And until you deal with where where things are really at, like you'll never really be able to, to fix it. Right. And I'm actually a recovering people pleaser. I've been a peacekeeper my whole life. That's one of the things my mom says about me as a little girl that you know, I was trying, just peaceful, trying to make sure everyone was, it was filled with peace in the house, which, you know, didn't really happen growing up in a family where your dad died when you were little and your mom's trying to raise four kids on her own, you know, like not always peaceful environment. But as an adult, I found find myself still doing that. But we can't... <laughs> you do do that. <laughs> peace is not the absence of conflict. Correct. And I learned recently that peace actually means to subdue. It's actually Mm. active. It's a weapon. So in order to have peace, we have to subdue the things that are there that shouldn't be there. And to do that, we have to deal with what's wrong. Yep. Conflict. We have to bring it up. And there's times where I was so afraid of just sharing what I really thought or the thing I didn't agree with that I just wouldn't say anything. I'd be silent and left the other one to guess and ponder and wonder, <laughs> namely my husband. <laughs> that does happen. <laughs> and um, over the last even year and a half, really, I've been learning a lot more and growing in speaking up. And it's not just in my marriage, in lots of areas. And just finding my voice, I guess, and just really understanding what's there and not being afraid of conflict. Yep. Conflict is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because it forces you to come to some sort of of resolution. I think if you view conflict as a bad thing, you will tend to avoid it. And every time it pops up, you'll think that something is wrong. But it's the natural result of people with different (laughs) ways of thinking. Get people together, there will be conflict. (laughs) Yeah, different objectives. There will be conflict, exactly. So don't shy away from it. Embrace it, lean into it, and... You'll find out. more peace on the on the other side. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because I'm part of a group called Classical Conversations, which is a homeschool group that meets in community on Tuesdays. I was actually a tutor last year, so I spent my time on Tuesdays with fourth graders. Loved every second of it. 
but we have a rule in our CC, aka Classical Conversation Community, that if we receive an emotionally charged message via text or email, we are instructed to delete it and not even continue reading it <laughs> and immediately call that person directly. That is what we are mandated to do. And actually, we sign, and that's part of our contract, that we will not resolve any conflict or receive any anything emotionally charged is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. We will delete it and we will contact them directly. And then we follow this, well, it's found in Matthew 28, if you're interested, the Matthew 28 principle of dealing with conflict. Mm-hmm. And so that is a part of our school community. And I believe that should be everyone's MO when yep. dealing with conflict. Agreed. Immedi- and you said that in the beginning. You know, if you see that someone sends you a text or email that it's going to be a lot of back and forth, you just call them. Mm-hmm. It is so easily figured out and solved in a matter of minutes. And I actually did this. Another little way of doing this is I had to communicate to a family member this week um, for a personal situation. And instead of just me trying to text what I was like feeling or had on my heart to share with them, I just did a voice memo for them because I knew they probably wouldn't be able to answer because of the things going on in their life. Mm. Um, so that was, I mean, that was another effective way where they could hear my voice and I could convey all the things I wanted to say with all the inflection that I wanted. And they could, and they received it and they understood like, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Those voice memos are, are great. You I've, do those a lot, right? I learned about it from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when we were first going through the quarantine stuff and we weren't seeing anybody, I knew that I wanted to try to be more proactive and reaching out to people, but it was hard to get people on the phone and text messages just weren't going to cut it. So I used the dictation in the, we've got iPhones, so you can record audio messages. And then when the other person gets them, they raise it and they they can hear your, your message. And so they get all the voice inflections. It feels a lot more personal, in my opinion. And then they can choose whether they're going to delete it or keep it or, or whatever. But feel for the types of messages that I was trying to send, just like encouraging, thinking about you type messages or anything, you know, where you really want to convey a specific emotion. This is a great way to, to do it. It's not as good as true conversation. There's no real back and forth there, but sometimes that's just not possible. And so it's a good tool, I think, to just send something quick and something that you just want to, you know, share with somebody and make them feel good. Yeah, another trick, I I don't want to say trick, but another way to engage in conversation with children specifically is to play board games with them, build a puzzle, um, excuse me, build a puzzle, play Legos, because when we're engaging in an activity with them, it's just fun, it's lighthearted, and basically it it disarms them, (laughs) and they get relaxed, and they start talking. So it's... It's actually pretty simple to do, and it's really fun. Yeah, I agree. This is kind of the another whole, thing is the whole idea behind the one on ones. When we would go to the the coffee shop, we don't really do that anymore. We talked about that in other episodes. How we've kind of evolved that while well, we've had to roll with the punches with COVID nineteen and being home all the time. But yeah, when we would go, with, but the whole idea behind the one on ones is I would take one of them each week to a coffee shop, and we would play a game. We just build a platform over the course of time they are 
open to, sh- to talking about things and sharing things. And uh, I feel like we've been doing that for a couple of years now and we're getting to the point where starting to see a little bit of the the fruit of that. It's absolutely worthwhile. And there's something about the context of, you know, playing the board game, building a puzzle, shooting hoops in the backyard, playing Lego where they are physically doing something else. It's like with kids, that's when their brain allows them to really open up. Yeah. It's like when their hands are busy, then they can think and communicate yeah. better. Well, like they're not like adults who are just going to talk about their feelings and like yep. I'm going through this right now. Well, like kids don't, they don't necessarily do that. Some do more than others, but it's like you need to be doing something with them. That mm-hmm. right. They're busy doing something, they're having fun, and then it's like, okay, I can talk now. It's like they need to downshift enough to just really understand and articulate what they're going through because that's something they're kind of learning as they're mm-hmm. growing uh, one of my secret weapons I use when, especially my four boys were all little, when I felt like I was coming to the end of the rope and I was going <laughs> to lose it, or I was just getting really tired, because I, I remember it especially when I was pregnant with my fourth boy, because they're the, the number three and four are the closest, closest in age. So I would buckle them all up in their little seats in our van and I'd drive around until I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I can come <laughs> home. It was just something I did as like a coping me- mechanism. I don't really do that anymore because I think I've maybe gained some different coping mechanisms, I guess, some different <laughs> ways of handling myself a little better. But that was really, really helpful. Another thing about the car, I'll say, is that is where I've had some of our greatest conversations with the children. Mm. I have a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. True. And we've had some very good conversations. It's time we've spent praying. It's time we've spent learning scripture verses. It's time that we've talked about fun things. It's times that we've unpacked things that they've gone through with friends or disappointments or things they've been excited about. The car can be a sanctuary, truly. Yep. All right. Uh, the next area where we need to have conversation is in marriage. True. Very true. And the biggest tip I can give people for this is create the space for it to happen. Yes. There's lots of ways to create space. Date nights are crucial. We Our goal is once a week. It hasn't always been once a week, especially the last few months, but we try and do it as much as we can. Um, another thing to try to do as much as you can is overnight. So like you spend a night away or you could have someone have your children at their place overnight and you could be at home alone overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, ideally more than once a year. Quarterly would be great. Monthly would be really amazing. But whatever you can do to create space, getting your kids to bed on time, to have sp- even though they <laughs> the try and stretch struggle. <laughs> bedtime every night. <laughs> yep, does happen. <laughs> but the biggest thing is just create the space because we can't just be dealing with putting out fires and conflict all the time. Mm-hmm. We need to just have fun together and talk. Yep. And this is where like the family meeting stuff really, I think creates an atmosphere for these conversations to take place. And so I know a lot of people who think that that's too formal. And I really don't agree with that assessment. I think 
it's formal enough, uh, but really the, the value of the system is that it produces a certain outcome. And the outcome we want is not the result of the conversation, but the conversation itself. So when you think about it that way, why not create a system that produces conversation? And then the conversation, just the fact that you're having it, that's already the win. Whatever comes out of that conversation is going to be good. That's where people, I think, get off, is the system is not going to end up producing three things that you need to change or, or whatever. That's not the goal. The goal is just to have the conversation. And if you have done that, then it's a win. And I would say to maybe help understand the system of our uh, family meetings, it helps us not just talk about the kids, not just talk about our calendar, though, Mm -hmm. you know, that does come up in family meetings. It's to talk about the bigger picture too and help us to focus on what we should be focusing on and not just default to what's easiest to talk about or what our brain goes towards. That's exactly it. I mean, conversation is not easy. Conflict is not easy. It's not the default. You're never going to feel like it all the time. Sometimes you just want to veg out in front of the TV and fall asleep, but you got to have that conversation. <laughs> and building the systems can help you can help transition into those conversations that need to happen and make them not quite as much effort or not quite as much work. And I've found like once you get into them, then it's always a good thing that comes out of it. But sometimes you do need a little help getting there. And that's actually one of the, the next sections here in, in friendships, uh, a big example of a system that we started and unfortunately got put on hold is this whole idea of the kibbutz where at the beginning of the year we identified a couple other couples from our church who we were going to have over on a monthly basis and we're going to send the kids to the basement and no one comes upstairs unless somebody's bleeding and the adults are going (laughs) to hang out and have a focused conversation on a particular topic Or maybe there's like a thought-provoking question that we share ahead of time. And uh, we really only were able to do this one time, unfortunately, before everything got got shut down. But it was awesome. And I'm really looking forward to getting back into this. And this is the kind of thing where I know I got to be careful who I share this with because some people will be like, well, you have to have a system for having good conversations with your friends. And like, no, but the system allows us to skip all of the small talk stuff that doesn't really matter and get to the really meaningful stuff and really build those connections rather than just talking. And it was actually a little bit, we were a little bit nervous going into it, not sure exactly how it would be received because we basically posed a question to our close group of friends and we were so, uh, I guess, so pleasantly surprised by how well the conversation went. It was a really great conversation. And sometimes we just need to get over the initial like feeling of awkwardness. Like, well, oh, I can't ask people some random question when I invite them over to my house. Don't we just talk and let the conversation go where it may? Well, sure you can, but what's your goal? And it yep. was not awkward at all. It was us sharing our heart sharing why we wanted them to be invited over and to join us, and then why we wanted to talk about this exact question that we posed. One of the books that we read prior to this, which kind of shaped 
our direction for this whole thing was The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, I think is how you say her name. And really the big takeaway from that book for me was whenever you are bringing a group of people together, you have to have a, a mission. Like, why are you bringing these people together? What are you hoping to achieve by bringing these people together? And so with the kibbutz, it's not to everybody answer a question, but the question is the tool that you use to build the connections. That's really yes, why. To build the friendships. Exactly. Build those relationships. Exactly. That was the goal of the kibbutz, was to build these relationships, which we considered to be important, and to do it in a systematic way so that it happened more regularly, because these are the kind of people who were always like, hey, yeah, we should get together. We never got together. <laughs> well, none of us ever took the action to like, okay, let's do this. And how many times have you done something socially or with family, and you're like, well, that was nice to see everyone, but you didn't really come away feeling any more connected to them. Well, I believe that's largely due to the fact that we don't really identify the purpose of us meeting. And that doesn't mean we have to do some deep philosophical conversation or have some life shattering thing to talk about, but just being intentional about like, why am I connecting with these people? What, yep. how do I want to grow in this relationship? And identifying that really is, is really important because you will come away being like, wow, I really connected with them. It's not like we just hung out like teenagers do. It's like I was really intentional about that relationship because they mean enough that I thought through in advance why I want to spend time with them and what the relationship means to me. Exactly. You do have to think through what your relationships mean to you. One of the things that I did as I actually had for Bookworm, which people kind of laugh about when I mention this, but I made a list of all the people that I have regular communication with and I rated my my communications with them as either uh, neutral, negative, plus, or plus plus, based on essentially when I talk to this person, are they usually life giving or life taking? <laughs> Even that sounds really bad. But uh, an example, you know, there are people who they like to talk to me but they don't really listen and that drives me nuts. And so if I know that going in to the conversation with them, I'm not going to be disappointed that we didn't get to a super deep level because their goal or expectation just isn't the same thing. That's fine. You know, it is what it is, but where are the ones that I should really be sewing into and trying to build? Where are the ones that really have a, have the potential to become something super deep, super special you know, recognizing those things and then cultivating those relationships, I feel like that is very important and something that doesn't happen by accident. It, I forget the exact statistic, but I heard that the average American, even though they have hundreds of Facebook friends, really only has two real friends. And a insane amount of people don't even have a single uh, single deep, like a close friend that something goes wrong, they know that they've got my back and I can confide in them. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that is just laziness defaulting yeah. to the digital stuff. You know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. No. And it's important. I mean, what's, I guess to clarify what you're talking about is to identify the friends that will pull you up. Iron sharpens iron. So who are peers of yours that you have it can develop a relationship that you can really uh, sow into each other 
you can really build each other up, not in some like superficial way, but just people that you identify that are strong and that can challenge you, but then you can also challenge them. Yep. So it's a deeper level of friendship. It's not just hanging out with anyone. So that's it's really important to develop those. But even other than that, we also have some other points here that um, another important thing to do is to schedule play dates with other family. Our children need to be learning how to have conversation and communicate. Um, also connect. And as we already talked about, they do that better when they're doing something. So. Yes. Yep. Um, double dates are another good thing to connect with other couples. Uh, having phone conversations regularly or FaceTime with family or friends that don't live in close ge- geographical vicinity yep. with you. Um, another thing is uh, when you can, I guess, meet up with a friend for coffee. Mm-hmm. Just creating these things in our lives that we do regularly and identifying as far as friendships go, what is what is truly important? Well, the coffee thing, that's kind of like the easy, the easy excuse right now is, well, we're not going to go to a coffee shop because COVID-19. But you can get creative with this. I mean, I had somebody over last week as we record this and we ordered burritos they got delivered to our front door and we sat out on the back porch and we talked and that's totally you know our intention when we first started talking about getting together was to go out for coffee <laughs> yeah so there are other ways to accomplish the same goals you just have to think outside the box a little bit sometimes yes we've done a lot of nature hikes or meeting up at the little creek by our house with other families and that's been super fun so we just have to get creative, I guess, and just to truly build the art of conversation and not let that fall to the wayside. But that's the big takeaway is that whatever you have to do, do it. Conversation is worth it. And it is a required element for any sort of relationship growth. And the bottom line is we need each other. You're not designed to live life alone. And you will never be able to cultivate those relationships until you start placing an importance on the conversations that you're going to have. Yeah. So what changes could you make even today to try and reclaim conversation in your own life? What ways have you tried to use digital connection to replace true conversation? Could you schedule a date this week with your spouse? Even just ordering out and walking around town. We've done that before. Um, could you schedule a play date outside with another family? Kick a soccer ball around. Or who's someone you could call that you haven't spoken to in a while? A grandmother, an aunt, a college friend. What, when is the last time you spoke with your pastor or a mentor in your life or someone you really high, highly respect, trust, and want their feedback in your life? These are all very important relationships to cultivate. Yep, there's lots of different ways that you can do this, but... Pick something and start conversating. <laughs> conversating, yep. You don't get good at something by not trying, right? Yep. I didn't get decent at painting in college by not painting. I had yep. to paint. It's exactly. the art of conversation. We get better at conversing and communicating by doing it. Yep. So we want to thank you so much for listening to The Intentional Family. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally. Thank you.